Hello and welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I am forced by my fiance to watch musicals I should have seen by now and we talk about them. I am Danny. I am the fiance. And I'm Drew and I'm not very well. <laughs> Which is why I'm not doing the intro today. Yes. I'm sick. Yes, you are. Bless you. And I've been saying bless you because she's been sneezing a lot. I think I've sneezed a thousand times today. I'm really sorry for the editing of this because... Maybe you're allergic to the Hisui region. Maybe, because all we've done this today is play Pokemon. <laughs> Um, yes, so Drew is not feeling very well, unfortunately, but we are still committed, as always, to bringing you your weekly dose of musical madness. Mm-hmm. And this week, I I genuinely think this is a debut this week. Yeah. Can you believe we have got 96 episodes in and we have not discussed a Julie Andrews musical? I know, it's crazy. We, we've talked about her, obviously, when we covered My Fair Lady. Mm-hmm. And Mary Poppins Returns. And Mary Poppins Returns. And I think she has like a very slight cameo, doesn't she, in Mary Poppins Returns. You see Ish, her reflection. Yeah. It doesn't really count. And I know it's going to be sacrilege now if like we have and I've just forgotten a Julie Andrews musical. I don't think we have, though. Well, this is it. We won't have done Sound of Music and more on that in a bit anyway. Yeah. Princess Diaries doesn't count. No. But yeah, how have we got this far without watching something as important as a Julie Andrews musical? Yeah, I'm very, very excited. Um, so why Victor Victoria? Because I, I, I will start by saying I know nothing about this one. Well, so February in the UK is LGBTQ plus history month. And we wanted to go into this month with a musical, or I did anyway, that was appropriately gay. And that also had some kind of tie to LGBTQ plus history. So obviously this musical is from the eighties. It also is a musical that was at the forefront of having gay characters and also gender diverse characters in a film and at the forefront of the film's actual story who weren't the butt of the joke they were the actual heart of the story and what the story is based around and this is a musical that I felt like we could really talk about. Yeah now I I will start by kind of saying that I am a little bit worried going into this one because it is 1982 yeah that's well, it's based on a 1933 film. Yes, Victor und Victoria. Yeah. But obviously it being a little bit older, it does always worry because we have this thing, don't we, where sometimes we look back on old media and we think, that was really progressive. And then you go back and you're like, oh, mm. it isn't. But I, I, I don't think Julie Andrews would allow herself to be in something, even in 1982, that could be seen as homophobic. Do you, I mean, when was the last time you watched this? Do you remember? Oh, probably when I was like 14 or 15. So this might be a musical that actually explains a lot <laughs> to me in understanding you. Yeah. Well, she, so Julie Andrews is a gay icon. Yes, no, exactly. So that's why I can't see her being involved in something that would be harmful to that fan base. Yeah, no, me either. She 
has always been a big advocate for LGBTQ plus people in media. She actually came out with a Netflix series called Julie's Green Room. Yes. Which I don't know if you saw the trailer for. It isn't on Netflix in the UK. So no, it was a lockdown project, wasn't it? Yeah, because it uses puppets. And it was written with her and her daughter and based on a lot of their children's books that they've written together. And it's a puppet show, basically. Yes. It's kind of like Sesame Street, but with Julie Andrews. And they talk about loads of different issues, but it's marketed and aimed at children. And a lot of the characters talk about things like LGBTQ issues. They have a crew of Muppet children, yes. basically. Like the rest of the cast are Muppets and their kids. They're made by the Jim Henson company, so they are actually Muppets, which is very cool. And they have a character called Riley, who is non-binary. Cool. Yeah, which is like a historic character yeah. for LGBTQ inclusion in a kid's show. That is very, very awesome. So this is something that I'm expecting from this one is I think it's going to be really progressive. I don't think it's going to be progressive enough that all the key players in this are in fact themselves members of the LGBTQ plus community. And I expect there will be slurs used, but... Mm. I'm hopeful that those slurs will come from clearly villain-encoded people. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, if you think about Hairspray, we obviously have to deal with racist characters, but we overcome the racist characters to become more triumphant. And I expect with this, we're going to have to overcome some homophobic characters to be triumphant. I will say with Hairspray, one of my favourite things that they changed from the show to the film is that nobody becomes Amber's friend at the end because she is racist yeah. and her mother is racist and they're both terrible people. Yes. And in a stage show, they like get them to join in with the song and it, it at the was... end and it just sort of does away with the, no, these are bad people. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure people have a lot of views about the film version of Hairspray because they changed it a lot, but that's one thing that I actually like. But one of the things that for me I also think, considering that when we've talked about the prom and when we've talked about everyone's talking about Jamie, we've made a big deal about the fact that LGBTQ plus characters should be played by LGBTQ plus performers. Mm -hmm. It's different here in the 80s, I guess because you're just happy to see you represented in this way. Well, this is the thing. And... You were just happy to see any kind of representation. The thing with this show is that it falls into the same sort of category, unfortunately, as things like Tootsie, which is not a good film for representation. And personally, I don't understand why they made it into a musical, because I think it's outdated and it didn't need to be remade. Whereas Victor Victoria, I think the changes and the updates that have been made to it in recent years have made it a better show. But... With films like that at the time, they were compared because you had these characters that dress as the opposite gender or the opposite sex and they had characters talk openly about how sex and sexuality works in that case. When you have things like that happening on screen, the actors at the time, and Hollywood is still still runs afoul of this all the time, Yes, is that if the actors who were playing those roles were actually out at the time, they would never have been cast in those roles because it was it was and is still so taboo to be out in Hollywood 
and obviously and a lot... in a lot of professions and industries as well yeah absolutely but in the film industries particularly there are so many actors who have been outed and then are not often seen again there are actors who have been outed and then do very well out of yeah. that and this is what's so awesome is when you have performers like Elliot Page mm -hmm. come out and make such a big deal and they still go from success to success so obviously you know being cast in the Umbrella Academy and then continued. And obviously, instead of recasting, they they work with the production studios to keep that character intact and make it part of the overall journey. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I can't remember the performer that we um, talked about in Tick, Tick, Boom, who plays one of Larson's friends. Uh, Michaela J. Rodriguez. Yes, became the first trans woman to win a Golden Globe this year. Yeah. Which is fantastic. And mm -hmm. you do see it in other industries as well. I'm a big wrestling fan. You've got Nyla Rose, who, uh, a trans woman, won the women's heavyweight belt, which in an industry that... Is pretty toxic towards trans <laughs> yes, and is, is, athletes. And in an industry that's pretty toxic towards female athletes, to be honest, mm -hmm. as well. And a whole speaking out movement that happened during 2020 and things don't seem to have changed. But you see things like that and you think, this is really good. These are the steps we need to take. You know, there was an issue a few weeks ago where there was a transphobic sign held up on the TV and that person got ejected straight away. Yeah. You know, that they're trying to protect people now and raise platforms and, 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 and showcase more diverse people. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Now, Julie Andrews' character in this film is not trans. No, but I'm really interested. I've seen a lot of films where it is a man dressing as a woman. Well, sort of Whatever. most recently we watched at my uncle's birthday. Some like it hot. Which sucks. I hate that well, film. <laughs> sucks. Yeah, I know people it... love it as like a part of film history, but like... I'd rather go and see Twelfth Night. Yeah. But I've seen a lot of these kind of films. So some like Hot, Mrs. Doubtfire. I've not seen... that film. I've not seen Tootsie, but what I Don't have seen to. is the Family Guy parody where Stewie does Tootsie. Oh, uh, yeah. For to be on... So, so I've basically seen that Tootsie. That was handled better. Yes. Which is not something I ever thought I'd say about Family Guy than the film. But I could tell you more of these kind of disguised movies that is the man disguising as a woman mm -hmm. so i'm really intrigued to see what happens because i believe it's her character goes from victoria to victor mm -hmm. which is weird because the movie title would suggest victor goes into victoria yeah so i'm very intrigued to see how it plays off when that trope is reversed um Interestingly, I, I think I can name more more um, of women Well, okay, obviously you have... men. But, you know, I could tell you more examples, but they're not focal points. Like Eowyn in Lord of the Rings, I am no man. You know, she takes down yeah. one of the... But then you've got... Bad guys. Twelfth Night. Yes. What's the one with Ganymede? She runs away and lives in a forest and then pretends to be a man. I don't know. 
As you like it. Possibly. As you like it, I think. Then you've got He's the Man, which is a remake of Twelfth Night. Yes. Which is one of, one of and, the weirdest but, films And I've one made. of the ones I've also seen, but it's used far more for comedy than it is anything else, is as a big commedia dell'arte person. Yeah. You've obviously got one man, uh, a servant to two masters slash one man, two governors, yeah. where she disguises herself as her dead brother so that she can claim the money and then run off to Australia with her fiancé, who killed her brother. Yeah. But I well, feel and like then things like Oran High School Host Club, where the main character is disguised, disguised uh, in quotation marks as a boy. However, the discussion of that is that character actually thinks gender is irrelevant yeah. and can be read as being gender fluid or non-binary. But, and, but this is it. More often than not, the way it has been used is a comedy thing. When when we look at those, even with the man disguising as female. And and again in Twelfth Night, there's almost the humour to it. And Twelfth Night, yes, it's in the script, but obviously, if you think back historically, it would have been a man. It would have been a man playing, playing man. right? So, which is sort of the opposite of what's happening here. So and this Julie is the playing a man. Yeah, so that's why I think it's quite interesting. Fun little Shakespearean tidbit for maybe people that aren't in the loop. So I'm teaching history of theatre right now, and it is that. During Shakespeare's time and age, even though Commedia dell'arte was flourishing in Italy, where women were allowed to perform on stage, in Shakespearean times, you probably know this if you've seen Shakespeare in Love, women weren't. So when you had... Although interestingly, I was reading the other day that there were a lot of actors who... I can't remember what the actual term for it was, but the like beautiful youth character in things, where it was supposed to be like a young boy, often was played by a woman disguising herself as a man to play those roles. Yeah, which is really interesting. But it is interesting when you think that they would have a younger, possibly prepubescent male character playing these women characters, Mm -hmm. which, you know, Romeo and Juliet changes completely and all these romances change completely when you think of that. Like, we look at them as these really romantic, like, oh, Shakespearean times. No, it probably would have been far more like was the whole thing of like this is the best time in history to be a woman yeah and it still sucks <laughs> i know well this, this is it so long story short i'm excited to see how this one works the screenplay obviously like we said has been adapted here from a 1933 german film yes which originally was written and directed by reinhold schunzel and the story was treated by hans holmberg this version was adapted by Blake Edwards, Julie Andrews' second husband. And he directs it as well. Yes, he does. And according to him, the screenplay only took him a month to write once it was translated. He didn't actually have to change a lot. He told Julie Andrews she should watch the 33 version to prepare for her role. And the film had been planned from about as early as 1978 to star Julie Andrews alongside Peter Sellers... Unfortunately, he died in 1980. He was supposed to be playing the sort of main male role. Okay. Ish. As this, it's a weird one with this because there's a lot of characters. Is there a love interest male character and a best friend male character or yeah. something? So who was he due to play? He was due to play the best friend male okay. character. But Julie Andrews and Blake Edwards were filming SOB in 1981 and Sellers died. So they couldn't use him anymore, so they recast Robert Preston in the role of the character. And 
It opened in March of 1982 and was presented in New York, LA and Toronto uh, a week later. So it literally had its opening night and then they were like, yep, that's good. Send it everywhere. So this film's nearly 40 years old then. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Mm. And the fact that it has aged pretty well is interesting. Obviously, like I say, films that talk a lot about gender and sexuality, everybody's going to have their own opinion on, especially members of the LGBTQ plus community because some people are going to really connect with things like this. And I know that when I watched it, when I was like 15 or 16, I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense to me. Yeah. And the conversations about sexuality that I had in this film, the conversations about gender that I had in this film, I really resonated with as a teenager. And I'm sure a lot of teenagers, especially trans and non-binary teenagers who saw this film would have looked at, the character that Julie Andrews is playing and been like, icon, incredible. Yeah. Some of it hasn't aged well, obviously, and we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about characters that maybe need a little update. Yes. But overall, I personally feel like this has aged pretty well. Fantastic. And that's what I'm really excited to see with it. You know, that for, for something that is nearly 40 years old that I've not necessarily heard of. Mm-hmm. And he did really well critically. Yeah. For a film of this nature, yeah. it wasn't expected to do very well critically, especially because it was a remake of a German film. Yeah. People were like, oh, what's this going to be like? What a weird thing to to remake, which now happens seemingly every Oh, yeah, week. look at The Ring, for instance, as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a big movement to westernise the, you know, there's Japanese There's a, a lot of horror movies that have been remade yeah. where... They're remade from like a Japanese horror movie or a German horror movie yeah. and things like that happen all the time. I know that there was talk for years of remaking Nosferatu, for instance. Oh my God, yeah. Who was it going to be? I don't remember. I really remember. I think it was literally going to be somebody like Hugh Jackman or something was going to yeah. play Nosferatu. Yeah, and I'm glad it never did because there's yeah. things like that should stand along. And it's like the the mysterious cabinet as well mm. is great and it stands and it like doesn't need to be remade. Um... I know that this is also a musical, obviously, that's why we're covering it, but a stage musical. What came first, this or the stage show? This came first. So when this was released, it actually was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards. Cool. Didn't win any except for Best Original Song Score for Leslie Bracusi, who we talked about before. Have we? Yes, indeed. Well, first of all, he wrote... The Sherlock Holmes musical that nobody can find. Yep, the one that supposedly burned down, yep. Also, Dr. Doolittle, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He wrote the song Goldfinger, You Only Live Twice. Nice, so he's a really... uh, Okay, so we might have some Bond-esque songs to this one then. Yeah, and also Tom and Jerry, the movie, (laughs) which I kind of love. Oh, I want to watch that one again, because it's the one where they talk for the first time. Not the new one with um, Hit Girl, whatever her name is, I can't remember right now. Not the new one, the old one. Chloe Grace Mortez, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, so we talked more about him when we watched Jekyll and Hyde. Ah, okay. And also Scrooge. Which apparently Jekyll and Hyde, you told me, is might be getting a movie version. Yeah, supposedly it is getting a movie version. David Hasselhoff has to Why be cast. Why would you do it without him? <laughs> <laughs> you know who they will cast? Hugh Jackman. Because he's just a younger musical David Hasselhoff. He just does the same stuff. Yeah. I, I mean... I don't know, you could cast... He'll do anything, f- anyway. You could cast quite a few good people in it nowadays. You'll probably end up with James Corden. 
see James Gordon being in it. You know the guy that like is his friend. Yes. Who's like, where do you keep going every night? Who kind of doesn't do anything, but yeah. is just there to like move the plot along. I yeah. can see him being him in the same way that like. I don't understand why they cast James Corden as Dr. Dillamond and not the wizard. Mm. Because I think he'd make a really good wizard. Has he been cast wizard. as a wizard? No, he's Dr. Dillamond, the goat. Oh. Which is why I'm like, why would you cast him I actually him quite like him as, as him. I quite like him as that. That's who I, I thought I would cast him as, is Dr. Dillamond, to be honest. That's mm. who I would always have thought. I think you could have, like, Josh Gad would be a better wizard. They have the same cast type. I know they do. So it, he would also be the goat. But I, but I, I, no, but I think Josh Gad would be a much... A much more interesting I haven't seen wizard. Josh Gad do anything where he's a villain, so I can't Yeah, think. that's why I think it'd be interesting. Although Andrew Reynolds, especially after like his work on How I Met Your Mother, he would be a great wizard. Mm, he's too young. Yeah. I don't know how old Andrew Reynolds is. We could talk. We could do a whole episode just talking about this. And maybe we will. <laughs> maybe we will. But, so, you know. it's time to go back in time. Yes. Uh, I don't know where this is set. I've got no idea where we're going, but we're going to go back in time. I can tell you when it's set. Well, it's not 1982, so it's not a period piece. No, it's 1933. Pre-war? Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Well, we're going back in time then, even further than I thought we were. Yes, indeed. Excellent. And we will be back shortly after the intermission. <laughs> Oh baby, won't you play me a jazz hot maybe and don't ever let it end. I tell your friend it's really something to hear. I can't sit still when there's that rhythm near me. And we are back. Yes, we are. I should have known this would be an MGM. I love I love the old MGM logo with like the, the lion. The lion. The poor lion. <laughs> yeah, I know. I right. I know that there's obviously a really <laughs> sad story to it, but it's a very, very cool opening. Especially when you have the Tom and Jerry cartoons and you have Tom being the lion and he does a really, really like You know the lion isn't roaring. I know. It's like foley. It's a man screaming into a dustbin laid on top of yeah. a bear. Yeah. Which is is that lions don't sound good when they roar. But it's one of the things as well is that in Titanic, the the noise of like um, the water rushing out. So when the windows open, the water comes rushing in. Mm. That's one of the noises is a lion's roar mixed in with other stuff. Mm -hmm. It's very, very cool. I I, I mean, I should have known this to be an MGM. They seem to be the big musical people of the day, didn't they? Mm -hmm. You know, doing things like uh, singing in the rain and whatnot. So at some point we're going to watch Smash. We are going to watch Smash. And one of the songs in that is called the 20th Century Fox Mambo. Cool. And she talks about in that song how, like, what the musical style of all the different studios is. And apparently MGM is uh, ooh la la. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, every, everyone does have a very different style, don't they? Mm. Um, Universal has cats and uh, Dear Evan <laughs> Hansen. <laughs> yeah. And I think they're responsible as well for um, Wicked. I think they're the ones doing Wicked. But you know, we have we will have to talk about the, the styles of each 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 musical. That's that'd be a nice little bonus episode. Yeah. So. So this is one of very few musicals that we've watched where 
I think it might be the only one that we've watched, where all of the music is in-universe. Yes, I, I, I think on li- in line with Sister Act. Yes, that probably is the only other one. Yeah, the idea that all these songs happen in-universe, but it's still a musical, but mm-hmm. they're musical numbers. Um, but I quite like it when that happens. It's It's a nice way of telling the story. Yeah. I, I really am struggling to think of other ones. Well, it's something that happens more often with, uh, like, biopics. Yes. Like, Jersey Boys, while that is a musical, and obviously the stage musical is huge, Yes. all of the songs are songs that happen in-universe. Yeah, and, and that's a really fun little thing to happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like it. I'm glad it's not the norm for musicals, but it's nice. It's a nice alternative for people who maybe struggle to believe the whole spontaneous... We're all in this together, you know. Mm-hmm. I recognised James Garner's name and Leslie Ann Warren's names. And yes. I was unsure as to why I recognised them. James Garner, I still didn't really recognise him from much I'd looked at. But I did see that Leslie Ann Warren was in Desperate Housewives. She plays... <laughs> Isn't um, that where you know everyone? <laughs> most people. We, I mean, Desperate Housewives, we talked about, has a really musical cast. Obviously, a lot of the titles are Sondheim songs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Bernadette Peters has been in it before. Uh, and and it, she plays uh, Terry Hatcher's mother in this and is a quite a recurring character. Yeah. So I, I, that's where I recognise the name from. So that was very, very cool. And it's nice to see her in a more prominent role than she would have been used in with Desperate Housewives. James Garner, first of all, is a huge voice actor. Yes. He seems to have been in everything. He's in a bunch of the Land he was, Before Time movies. Yeah, and he was in Treasure Planet or Atlantis. Atlantis. But not the first one, the second one. I've not seen either of them. We, we need to watch Atlantis. It's not a musical. We'll just have to watch it at yeah. some point. He also is the voice of Shazam in a couple of the DC shorts, cool. which is very cool. But like older Shazam, yes. not, not superhero Shazam. Yeah. Um, I also got really excited because we have Gimli in this yeah, film. Yeah, we do. Uh, John Reese davis Yeah. Very, very cool. He's great. I love his voice anyway at the best of times. And obviously he's in a few Indiana Jones movies. And I believe this is the first film he did with Julie Andrews. Because Have they he, done more than one? He's in the second Princess Diaries. Is he the, he's he's the, the bad, bad guy, guy, isn't he? Yeah, because he's <laughs> yeah. the one who wants his son to marry. Yeah. Oh, it's very cool. But yes. And I also really like, so we've got this kind of overture and you've got some really nice Parisian music and you've got some really nice Parisian imagery. Art deco imagery, yes. So I'm like, huh, is this set in Paris? And then sure enough, it says Paris 1934. Mm-hmm. So pre-war, but very much on the verge of like, like this is possibly the best it's going to be in Paris for a long time because it's, yeah. it's not much longer until you have the German invasion. Yeah. So, you know, this is Paris at the height of that artsy movement maybe mm-hmm. i can't remember when moulin rouge is set mm, that's a good question i'll find out for you because it might sort of be similar ish moulin rouge is set in 1899 okay not at all then <laughs> not at earlier. all then so yes um and we start by meeting toddy and richard and richard is getting dressed and he's leaving this is very weird because i thought the way it was kind of richard is the worst (laughs) yes but i thought this was very interesting is because the way the camera follows richard's perspective yeah i thought they were setting richard up to be julie andrew's best friend character because toddy comes across quite like grumpy Mm -hmm. and like 
And he's older. He's not who you expect to be the lead. No, he isn't. And I quite like that he's older and we have that older man in the lead. But in the same way, at this point, they're talking about some sort of arrangement. We don't know what the specifics are. Toddy doesn't come across nice in this bit, Mm -hmm. especially because, and I think that's maybe just like a visual cue for us as the audience. We follow Richard's perspective. So he's our insert character at the start. Richard is basically conning yeah he's conning this study or hustling him i think is the better way yeah. to describe it he has kind of a relationship they're romantically involved yeah or at least sexually involved and then he takes toddy's money yes so it is kind so of I was a, like, oh, like is a he benefit like a, system is he an escort or is he no, it's just the worst. No, but this is it. It's, it's almost like he gets an allowance from mm. like his sugar daddy type thing as well. But I wasn't sure, but it was a very... Definitely comes across more like an escort by modern standards. It does, yeah. It was interesting. And I was like, huh. So I'm not really on board with Toddy and I want to know more about Richard's story. But then what the film does really well is it starts positioning us from Toddy's perspective. Mm-hmm. So we see him going down to a theatre. We see him dressed up. We see him sat watching an audition as we get... Yes. So he's gone to Club Chez Louis. Chez Louis, yeah. Yeah, and we meet Le Beast, who is the sort of club owner. Yes. Also the worst. Who, yeah, who is mid-audition for Julie Andrews, who is singing Cherry Rhine. Yes. I don't know if... This is like an old song. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an audition song. This isn't a big musical number. It's just her showing her skills. She's there mm-hmm. and she hits this amazing high C note that causes the glasses to explode. And Toddy gives a very polite round of applause. I really like that we don't initially see Julie Andrews. You hear her singing before you actually see her yes. because we're focusing on Toddy. Yes, and I think that's a really nice way to blend the two worlds is that Toddy is this insert character, I guess, in the fact that he's going to change everything for this character, but we see the world initially from his perspective. Mm-hmm. And this is a film that I think is in kind of three acts. Yeah. Because we start off with Toddy's perspective for a few things, and then we merge over to Julie Andrews' perspective for a few things. But then we go over to... Uh, I can't remember his name. James Garner's character. And we follow... King. Yeah, we go to King's side of things, which mm-hmm. is very, very interesting that we go through three different insert characters. Yeah. And sometimes the two worlds merge, so you have a lot of merging between King and Julie Andrews, or Julie Andrews and Toddy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I quite like how we've not followed her into this audition space. We've not seen it. It's not like um, a chorus line mm-hmm. where we see someone coming in, and it's not like Funny Girl where we see Barbara Streisand going in. Yeah, we get there and she's already performing. Yeah, we, mm-hmm. you know, it's quite nice that we're not seeing the nerves before the audition. We learn about the character after. Yeah, so Julie Andrews in real life has a four octave soprano voice, which is why she's perfect for roles like this, where she has to sing really, really deep yep. and also really, really high at the same time. She is not singing high enough to smash a glass. <laughs> no, but it's a nice visual effect. <laughs> it's a nice effect. little joke, yeah. And the fact that this, it sets up that this is going to be a comedy as well, which I think yeah. is nice. It's small visual cues. We learn that she has too much of a legitimate voice to work here, so she doesn't get the job. Um, we're told... It's like being told you're too good for a job. Well, what she's told is, stupid. is, ironically, that it's like a nun becoming a streetwalker. Yeah. Which, you, you need know... natural talent. You know, and, and this is what, you know, especially... Because she's done Sound of Music by this point, hasn't she? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that line is kind of, like, thrown in a little bit as a let's reference your past as a nun. Yeah. Well, also, 
super interestingly, we do come to learn that the majority of the performers in this club are drag acts. Yes. Or at the very least, gay performers. Yes. And so as we got further and further into this film, I suddenly was like, why did she audition for this club? Because she's desperate. That's why. Yeah. She's going for any job she can. But There's a no- that's why Labie says to her, like, you're not, right, you're for not this. right for this place. There's a nice line that Labie says after, you know, the, the wine glass breaks. He goes, what the hell was that? And Toddy just replies, B flat. I thought that was really, really funny. Was it a B flat? Well, I don't that, think so. No. <laughs> I don't think it was. And this, so, so then we follow Victoria's character. Mm-hmm. And... This is where I start to notice how grotesque some of the additional characters in this world are. Because she's standing outside, and I'm sorry because I know you hate this bit. But, I hate anything related to food But in it movies, is it's genuinely horrible. disgusting. She stood outside a window watching this disgusting man eating. But, but, I'm not saying the man himself was disgusting. But it's the, 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 the ca- way that it's framed is grotesque. That's what I mean. And it's the way he's eating this cream pie and the noises Gets he's making. It is. And it's, it's a big really caricature of this, this, this man eating it. Like, it's obviously a performance choice and a direction choice to make him feels appear. very much like a political cartoon. Yes. Like, it has that kind of energy about it. Yes, and and she faints at like I guess out of hunger, not yeah, maybe disgust. And then we see her walking down the streets, and I did wonder if this was going to set up. I dreamed a dream, <laughs> you know. This this I, I did wonder because especially they've mentioned streetwalker stuff. I'm thinking, oh, is this how she's going to get into the, you know, maybe a seedier side of the business as a legitimate voice? Is she going to be so desperate she has to sell mm-hmm. her virtue? And is it going to start? And then she's going to eventually work her way into a burlesque thing. And, you know, is is the... Vi- <laughs> Just the old-timey version of uh, burlesque. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I was thinking, because this, this is setting her up to be very... Uh, Fontaine. Fontaine. Yeah. You know, she's gonna, is she going to cut her hair and sell it? What What's going on here? Well, she's going to cut her hair. Oh, yes. And, and sure enough, you know, she has this, again, interaction with the most grotesque hotel manager character. Mm-hmm. Who's like got this nasty like st- you know, meatball stains on it, and like she's she's yeah, that was a weird stereotype that isn't is like sort of the first thing that happens in this where you're like come on like and and this is the thing the opening to this film especially these bits here I I honestly was like oh god I'm gonna hate this yeah because like he essentially is going to rape her yeah and. And it's so uncomfortable to watch this bit where she's like, I trade my virtue for me. But I'm thinking, right, she's Fontaine. She's, this is how she gets into it. And then she goes in, sees the cockroach, faints, and he's still got his pants down. He's still like, you're not getting out of this. I'm like, that's... Yeah, well, so she sees the cockroach and freaks out. Yes. And he thinks immediately that she's making it up to get out of paying for her hotel room. Yes. This is sort of the era of, it's a hotel, but you would stay there for like months. This, yes. It's where renting originates basically and because it's not a tenancy in the same way as things around that time were where you would like if you were a tenant farmer Mm -hmm. on somebody else's land you paid to farm that land yeah but then you still make money you still have an income yeah this is renting essentially but in hotels and he then takes her luggage to make sure that she doesn't pull a fast one Mm -hmm. but this sequence again because like he's got these really big glasses and like the kind of big over the top characterization i'm thinking wow garter socks and like yeah it's very very grotesque Mm -hmm. and it's quite interesting like are we seeing her being overwhelmed by the pressures of paris 
you know, that this is her view of the world, that she's a fish out of water. And it's interesting choices. And I quite like that we see it kind of carrying through, especially in the opening of this. Yeah. It's it's a choice that you can see the thread being weaved through it. Mm -hmm. But I'm watching it here at this point thinking, I've just seen disgusting food noises. Gross. No, thank you. And then this really horrible hotel manager with some really questionable motives. Oh, God, I'm going to hate this film. Yeah. But we move past this quite quickly, which is nice. Mm -hmm. We go from here back to Toddy's perspective. We get Gay Paris. Yes. So Toddy's performing at Lavisse's club. And while he is performing, he's doing pretty well. People like him. I like his voice and his calm demeanour. Like, he's got really fun, like... It's very, Presence. Um, I know you haven't seen La Cage Fall, but I think you've seen the movie. I've seen the movie with Robbie, the with Robin Williams, yeah. Yeah, it's that style of performing where you're sort of talking more than singing, yes. but there's music playing and it's... <laughs> very William Shatner. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just very like jazz, easy gonna... club yeah. vibes, you know? yeah. He's just talking and being silly with the patrons and having a good time. Yeah, and it does feel very much like you get... It's that vaudeville act, isn't it? Of you go, it's part stand-up, it's part song. Hmm. He's going to take the mickey out of you a little bit and there's a bit of give or take. Yeah, absolutely. And we have this celebrity come in. With with Richard. Richard. I didn't actually pick up that it was Richard, I'll be honest. He's like nondescript white man, you know? Yeah, so... You're supposed to notice Richard, but the woman that he's with is like quite bedecked in jewels yes. and furs kind of thing. So you sort of look more at her. But Toddy immediately sees Richard with this woman, basically doing the same thing with this woman because she's older than him, that yeah. he is doing to Toddy, fleecing her, essentially, yes. for sex. So Toddy obviously goes and makes some Takes comments. Takes the mick out of it because you would. And, and starts a riot. Yeah, Richard stands up to punch Toddy. And then it all just kicks off. Yeah. Because everyone in here is a club. Everyone's drunk. <laughs> well, it is. And it's a seedier club as well. Like, it probably... It won't take much to start a fight anyway. You get the senses happen before, before, before. Yeah, this is the thing. The kind of clubs that they're performing in throughout the whole of this movie, while they are very fancy, you have a very specific type of clientele. Yeah. It's like going to see a show at a casino, you know? Yeah. Like in Sister Act. Yes. Like the kind of crowds that she's performing to, not in the first one, in the second one, where she's big. Yeah. While I'm is, no showgirl. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, a headliner. headliner. While it is a big audience of quite wealthy people, they're not upper class. No. Some of them are, but the ones that are upper class are lowering themselves to be here. And even the ones who are upper class, it's probably like they're sneaking out like Jasmine, yeah. you know, to be amongst... Yeah, you know. it's, it's like a not being amongst normal people thing. It's like a this is the fashionable thing to do, yes. to go and see these drag acts, yeah. to go and see these gay performers. But they would never deign to know them. Exactly. So Shay Louis is closed by the police for a week as a result, and Toddy gets fired because you've cost me this money. Toddy's like, I'll take a pay take cut. Out my bill. And he's like, no, that's it, you're gone. Yeah. So what we have is he walks in, he's mm-hmm. walking past in the rain, clearly mm-hmm. miserable, and he sees Victoria. Victoria sat in a restaurant about to order a meal she can ill afford. And I'm thinking, what's happened here? How? What? What? What is going on here? Because she sits down. She's been really nice. She gets a glass of wine. She has like three meals, 
and is interacting really nicely with another. I, I, I don't think he's a Somalier. He doesn't Somalia. seem, you know, he's just like a wine. His character waiter. is credited as the waiter. The waiter, because that's who he plays. The but waiter. again, very kind of grotesque with the way like his his chin goes, and you see like triple chins and hunched over, like very much like a over the top comedy character. Well, so you know the beginning, yeah, when they showed all the Art Deco stuff. Yeah. All of that is recreated throughout the film. That's very cool. I didn't notice that. In, I guess, tableaus, but moving tableaus, you know? So he appears in the beginning in the Art Deco piece as this caricature in Art Deco style of a waiter. So he is the waiter and that's all he can be because that's That's what he's represented as. And he's actually quite nice. He's a lot nicer to her than others have been. Maybe a little bit sarcastic. quite sarcastic. Yeah, but, but nice to her. And uh, in comes Toddy, and because he he recognises her from from the club, so he comes in and he takes a separate seat. I like the way the waiter just holds the menu in front of you for you to choose from. You don't pick up yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he goes over and he talks, and she invites him to dinner, and he's like, "But how are you going to pay for this?" Well, he says to her, "I'm sorry, I can't buy you dinner." Yes, and she says, "Why are you sorry?" And he's like, well, I don't have any money. She's like, neither do I. Join me. Yeah. And there's, and he's like, so what's going on? And it, he learns that she's bought a cockroach to plant in her food. And they talk all about this plan. He's like, and what if it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. She's like, well, it has to work because I can't afford this. Yeah. And uh, I like it. He just goes, that'll never work. It's really, really fun. Um, and obviously then hijinks ensue. They get to their final meal, the, the salad prepared personally by the waiter. Mm-hmm. And she's got to try and put the cockroach in. She gets her bag. She can't look. It's, it's like, like a little oh, coin it's nasty. Purse that she gets and she shakes it over the salad and, and then looks and there's no cockroach. But she tries to say, uh, she screams anyway. She's like, there was a cockroach. There was a cockroach. And he goes, no, there wasn't. I can't see it. Well, there was there. No, no. She sees the cockroach. But it's on so her hand. Basically what's happened is the cockroach escaped when she took her coin purse out of her yeah. bag and it was on her sleeve. Okay. So then when she does look down... Oh, the, the waiter comes over and asks why she hasn't eaten the salad yet. Is it okay? And that's when she tries to say, oh, there was a cockroach. And then... She it's... sees it, screams. It's like, oh my God, there's a cockroach. Julie Andrews is in real life completely terrified of cockroaches. She did not want to be I around a cockroach. I don't blame her. Do you know what freaks me out about them the most? Because I'm not that fussed by them, but they should not be able to fly. No. It's that's the, weird. That's, it's the fact that they can fly, that they have <laughs> yeah, wings. That's the worst but It's part. also like people say that the only thing that would survive a nuclear apocalypse would be the cockroaches. Yeah, probably. Which is weird. And like, um, Twinkies. Yeah. And well, that's a zombie apocalypse as well. Mm-hmm. You told me as we were watching a fun little Oh my God, fact. no, this is horrible. So we we then see, because they're telling her that there was no cockroach because nobody can see it. Yes. And we cut across to a lady who is eating her dinner. And we on the see other it side, crawling up her leg. And it's on her leg. And then she sees it, the whole place falls apart. Yeah. There are two instances of free roaming cockroaches in this movie. Yeah. Or three, rather. There's the one where she's in her hotel room where it's on the bed and it just scuttles away. There's the one where it's on her arm and then there's the one that's on the woman's leg. Those are three different cockroaches (laughs) and the way that they got the cockroaches to be where they wanted them to be is horrible. (laughs) And it makes my skin crawl because they ordered the cockroaches in. They ordered more than they needed. (laughs) They had loads of cockroaches, but they sort of arrive pre-packaged like when you have like a lizard or something and you have to buy a box of you know crickets or something to feed to it which is creepy (laughs) anyway 
you know when you see the boxes of them in pet stores yeah. and you're like Mm-mm, no yeah. no i can just imagine the you shelf falling the over and they're all getting out so they came in a box frozen because cockroaches if they are frozen hibernate yes. they go into a sleep state because they literally would survive anything apparently and so what they did for this movie is they would take the cockroach put it where they wanted it to be and then hair dryer it so it would warm up enough to wake up and then once it wakes up it would stay in one place for a little bit and then crawl away and then nobody just caught them they just let them go it's just a cockroach off it goes fair enough they're probably still around because apparently cockroaches can live a really long time i think we said it was three or four years didn't we yeah but like the descendants of those cockroaches are still hanging around somewhere in Hollywood. No, because so they've the been they've been the they've bed... been put on on the on the island of the lost. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the first one on the bed crawled off somewhere. Nobody knows where it went. And Julie Andrews is getting really freaked out about this Bless on set her. because there's just cockroaches hanging around. The second one that's in the restaurant that's on Julie Andrews's arm was just frozen. Yeah. Still a frozen cockroach. And then the third one that's on the woman's leg when they hair dryered it. They just had to hope it went the way they wanted it to. Yeah. And it did crawl up her leg. Great. Which is what they wanted for the shot. But if it hadn't, they'd have just filmed whatever it did. Yeah. And just that was it. And, and then nobody the caught them. Those cockroaches well, left. <laughs> at least they didn't kill them at the end, you know. Somebody probably did. To be honest. Yeah. If you saw a cockroach running past Oh, yeah. You, but not the film production company. Yeah. I don't know. One of my favourite parts about this scene before it does all go to hell is the fact that the manager like comes up really sarcastically and is apologizing oh well we'll give you the meal but his meal's fine and then it's like there's no cockroach in his here's no cockroach yeah. in his food. oh but i'm buying with oh but if you're buying and 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 i love how it all sounds like their plan isn't going to work and mm-hmm. she's almost like her own hubris for inviting him and then we do have the cockroach chaos and they scarper as quickly as they can yeah we get a really nice shot of you can't hear what's happening but you inside see the, the inside, restaurant, but yeah. you see everything falling apart. Yeah. The woman whose leg the cockroach is on is literally up on a table screaming. Yeah. Like, it's great. And I like that bit. And obviously they then run off and they hit it off instantly. And I really like their dynamic as they're charging through. They go back to his his place. Oh, yeah. They're wrapped in... They're Basically, they're in the underwear, wrapped in towels. And having, and like, feet in the feet bath. Feet in the hot bath. And they talk about him being a hypochondriac and her ex-husband being a hypochondriac. Mm-hmm. And that bonding thing happens that they're just like really great. And then she goes to get ready to leave. I think the next morning <laughs> the she stays in, in the no, bed. No, next... It's the night. Oh, in the, the night time. She was going to go back to her hotel because all her stuff's there. Yes. And she tries to put her dress back on. But it's shrunk. It's shrunk in the rain. And she's like, they guaranteed me it wouldn't shrink in water. And he just says, oh no, poor baby. <laughs> yeah. I really like that bit. But Toddy says that he'll collect her clothes and pay her bills and he invites her to stay, which is really nice because he doesn't have any money, but he's going to do it. And yes, they they go to bed for the night. Mm -hmm. And the next... He says to her, come on then, like, come and get into bed. And she's like, oh, no, I really, really, I can go on the sofa. And he's like, well, you can if you want, but you'd be safer in here than you would out there. And it's more comfortable. Yes. We do learn that Toddy is gay. Yes. In this scene, they talk about how long... She says to him, how long have you been gay? And he says, well, how long have you been a soprano? (laughs) She says, well, since I was 12. And he goes, oh, I guess I was a late bloomer then. (laughs) Which is great. This is like a nice little scene. There's nothing... We also get a line later on. They say, you know, when did you know? Well, well, after sleeping with, you know, my first girlfriend. he slept with his first girlfriend. He's like, woke up, he's like... Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, again, so like I said in the preamble, I won't expect 
a gay man to play a gay character. Robert Preston was not gay that we're aware of. You know, married to a woman, died a few years after this. Yep. You know, it's obviously a very stereotype performance at times, but like we said in the preamble, it's kind of all you could ask for at the time was to see some representation. Yeah. Which is what it is, unfortunately. And I feel like it is a, a little bit less offensive than James Corden's. It actually is, and that is the issue with the James Corden prom performance. Yeah, because at least this was in the 80s mm-hmm. doing stereotypes. And even that, his mannerisms are a lot more toned down than James Corden in 2020. Also, Toddy as a character has wants and dreams outside of being gay. Yeah. And has a life outside of being gay, whereas the characters in prom don't don't <laughs> at all. So she needs to go and get her stuff. Yes. So wakes up the next morning and she starts to don Richard's clothes. Yep. And as she's getting ready, we cut outside. We see Richard showing up with a black eye, going in to, I guess, get his clothes. He's come to pick up his stuff because he's leaving Toddy. Yeah. Because like. Because he thinks it's his fault yes even though it's not it's definitely his own fault and victoria hides in the cupboard and as he you know there's a bit of nastiness and richard says some nasty things to toddy and toddy just reacts and as he opens as richard opens the cupboard he he calls him a couple of very unnecessary slurs yes and obviously at this time the term queer was used disparagingly it has since been reclaimed you don't like it you don't like it it's personal choice yeah but in terms of this movie they are using queer as a slur yes and as richard opens the cupboard julie andrews just punches him in the Straight face in the face it's amazing and he runs off and you know, teddy she took boxing lessons to learn how to punch really? properly she doesn't actually hit him obviously because no. it's a movie but yeah. she took boxing lessons teddy has a stroke of genius quote the producers but yeah i was trying to figure out that was from and this is where he starts to come up with the idea you know you are going to become count grasinski mm-hmm. uh, a male female impersonator yes so their story is count grasinski victor grasinski is a polish lord basically who is who in was... love with Toddy. Yeah, disowned by his family, met Toddy in Paris, they fell in love, and also he happens to be a great soprano. Yes. And so they're trying to get him in with an agent so that he can perform as a female impersonator. Yes. Which obviously now we call a drag queen. Yes. So. And I like they this. They do say drag queen in this film as well, but female impersonator was just yeah. the term. One of the things I really like here is that Toddy is dispelling all the gender norms and we, he talks about how masculinity is a myth. And it's really quite nice. It's really nice. It's one of my favourite things that happens in this movie, which definitely is something I resonated with as a teenager, yeah. where they're talking about, specifically in this scene, Victoria mentions that she doesn't know how to act like a man. And Toddy's like, what do you think I act like? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. On. And it's just some really nice things. Yeah. I wish I'd written down a more of a list of them, but it was really quite... It's like the ideals that you have that you think are masculine aren't actually anything yeah. to do with being a man. And the ideals that you think are feminine will only help you in this regard. Yeah. So they're heading off to Andre Cassell's office because he's the best agent in Paris. Mm-hmm. And... 
when they get there, it's by appointment only, even for an old friend. I like the bit where Tony's like, I'm an old friend. Ah, oh, well, if you were an old friend, you would know that every Wednesday afternoon he gets his hair cut so you can wait. And then in comes, I don't know what the name of his act was. He's not a magician, but like a... He says something. He's a... Um... I, I don't know what the word was. a gymnast. It was like a balancist or something. Um... But I like it. He comes in and he produces flowers and some champagne out of the hat and he starts to put everything on the floor and there's this chaos and this hijinks. He starts to go upside down. He's balancing on the champagne bottle, which is positioned on the desk. And somehow during this chaos, Toddy walks in to the agent's office and he's dragging Victoria with him. Yes. And you Gets hear... her to hit her B-flat. Yes, and you just see the champagne bottle like oh yeah because the he's balancing balancing act yeah yeah. so he's on the stick on top of the champagne bottle and the champagne bottle explodes and he falls right down the floor and it's fantastic it's like a really nice set piece that you don't see what's going on inside it you just see what's going on here it's really really Mm -hmm. fun definitely you know one of those highlight set pieces of this film i thought yeah so andre is like yeah incredible yes gimli is all about the gold typical dwarf Mm -hmm. And he's excited to start the show process. So he's like, let's get on with it. Let's let's do this. Yeah. They get her booking at a nightclub and they invite a bunch of different club owners yes. to come and see it. I really like how she looks as Victor. She is so handsome. Mm-hmm. Like really just, oh, she looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Like with the slicked back hair and everything. And like the calm presence. I also love when we see the difference between what victor and victoria's hair looks like yeah between being slicked back for victor which is a very handsome haircut yes and then when like she's washed it and it's all like fluffy it's really nice it's really really nice dream haircut yeah and she she's fooled everyone so toddy is very very proud that she can do this in rehearsals there are some of the backup dancers talking about how great she is how great victor is is, and they think he's great however one of them is complaining and is like, oh, nobody could be that good. He's definitely a fake. Like, I don't care about this. And one of the other boys, he says, oh, I don't care what you say. I think he's divine. Yes. That is Julie Andrews' stepson. Nice. It's Blake Edwards' son. That's very, very cool. Yeah. So, yes. It's a nice little cameo. And Toddy's like, good. Our work is done. And he sent out 30 invites. All showed up. And we go to Le Jazz Hole. Is it Le Jazz Hole? Le Jazz Hot? Hot. Cool. I can't. Le Jazz Hole. Le Jazz Hot. Well, I put H-O-L, so I didn't know if it was Le Jazz Hall or Le Jazz Hot. Yes, we go to the song Le Jazz Hot. One of the things, so we start by seeing the orchestra, and I love the little trumpet hats. You know, like the little saucer. Sure, that that's they, a real name I know, that. but um, so he has a little saucer in front of him. He's playing the rather. trumpet, and he's like waving it in front to obviously it create the it, echo. Yeah, it makes it create more of a brassy, jazzy noise. Yeah, I really like it. And the choreography for this sequence rocks. Yep. We this is where we first see King and Norma and Oh and my Squash. favorite character Squash. Yes, and I, I really like this because King instantly is very very into Victoria and he's like jaw on the floor. Norma's sat there in this right huff. And she this... keeps looking at King and looking back at and hating every Victoria. second of it. Yeah. And then you get the most amazing bit at the end where Victor or Victoria comes forward and just stands and takes off the wig and everyone's like oh my god yes big round of applause and it's great because norma is suddenly like over the moon yeah. 
<laughs> Amazing, I'm into this now. And King and is, is just laughing like laughing her head off yeah. at King because King is sat there, jaw to the floor again. But in a different way, like what is going on? Because he's just had a little <laughs> sexuality confusion. Yes. Basically. That is essentially the plot of the film from this yeah. point on, is he needs to come to terms with his own like sexuality. Yeah. And the fact that you can sometimes just be attracted to people yes. without knowing anything else exactly. about them. And, and this is the thing is I thought far more of the rest of the plot was going to be him trying to figure out the truth. And that that's addressed very, very quickly. But I thought the rest of the plot was going to be just him trying to find out like wet bandit style of him and uh, squash getting into misadventures. So they try to prove that Victor was a fraud, but that doesn't, that's not the way this goes. Yeah. Because when they go and they meet, Norma's over the moon and she goes off and she talks with Toddy and King gives his handshake and is like... Immediately convinced that Victor I think is you're a fraud. Man. And yeah. Victor gives his really nice speech in a really calm voice. Her Victor voice is great. Yes. And she's... The point that Victoria is making as Victor is that the same thing Toddy said earlier. There are different types of men yeah. and there is no set definition of what a man needs to be because gender is imaginary as hopefully we all know by now. And I really like the way that, you know, she puts him down fantastically, does Victoria. But, you know, she says that the only reason you believe is I'm a woman is because of your own sexual confusion and you can't allow yourself to believe that you might be attracted to another man. Yeah. I just thought it was really, really like, That's awesome. your problem here. Get, yeah. You need to get over it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that there's this one bit where Norma offers her hand to Victor. Yes. And Victor doesn't know what to do. So because obviously she's used to female norms. Yeah. So she shakes it the way the women do. As opposed to female Norma. Yeah. And then when Norma offers her hand to Toddy, he kisses it because that's what's expected of him. And that is what would have been expected of Victor too, but Victoria doesn't know that. Yeah. It's small things. Norma is a really lovely character in the sense of there's a lot of great characterization going on here, but it has some awful views on the world. Mm-hmm. And especially talking to Todd, it's like, oh, but it's such a waste. Why would you not be into women? You know, men are so much better. And he goes, I couldn't have put it better myself. I can agree more. And and the way that Toddy reacts to what Norma says and her reaction is like, oh, I'm talking to a genuine gay. Make her this nasty character, like in that sense. But she's so well performed by Leslie Ann Warren. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's definitely not a character I would want to hang out with. Yeah, she's not nice. She, no. We're not supposed to like her, but, especially as we go further through yes. this movie. But the way that it is performed is very, very good. Yes, that's, and that's exactly it. She also puts forward the line, oh, well, maybe you haven't met the right woman yet. And then he, and he's like, maybe him. you haven't either. And she's like, me and another woman. And she like freaks out about it. Yeah. It's very, uh, I feel like we've all had that conversation with somebody. Victoria and Toddy move into a new hotel. And I just love their awesome interactions with each other. Oh, yeah, because it's suddenly a really upscale hotel. And yeah. Victoria is like, what if I'd been a flop? And then he's like, well, why do you think I asked for a floor so high up? Yeah, because we'll, we'll escape. Well, it's not, it's three floors up. Yeah, he, oh, he says, okay, yeah. why do you think I asked for a room above the third floor so that if I, it all yeah, fails, fine. we can jump out the window? Yeah, I, I took it to mean that we could make an escape and I'm just realising now what he meant. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Sorry. That's fine. Conveniently, they are opposites and just down from, 
King's window. Mm-hmm. Him and Norma have had a bit of a back and forth. Norma goes into the bedroom, comes out. And Norma keeps rubbing it in. That, yeah. She has this thing about, oh, I knew from the start that it was a man. Women just know these things. It's all padding, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And obviously because Norma isn't meant to be a good person and sort of neither is King. Yeah. Because in my opinion, he's the villain of this movie. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. They are more than necessarily obsessed with what? Victor's gender. Yes. And not just his gender, but in the way that I think a lot of people nowadays can very much identify with is the what's in his pants yeah. issue of this. Yeah. Because, like, obviously trans people have been around for hundreds of thousands of years and people need to just get over it. Well, yeah, exactly. So you have a few really uncomfortable conversations here. And, you know, Norma comes out of the bedroom after eating chocolates. One of my favourite things are like ladies of the day, they sit and they just eat the chocolates in their bed. Was well, very unladylike, actually. Uh, well, when you see things like that, you know, just at their... That's how you know she's not actually upper class. Yes. She's just the act of being upper class. And you've had a few lines of squash, you know, <laughs> squash is like, oh, well, I, I thought it would be good for you to bring her here to really strengthen your relationship. But I'm sorry, sir. Squash is his bodyguard. Yeah. And King's like, can I not just send her back to America? Or you could maybe do it for me. And Squash is like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> but so you have this bit where she comes out and she's like, I'm horny. And from looking at Victor. He then goes and grabs her and takes her into the bedroom because, like, to he, affirm his own sexuality. To, yeah. And it's it's one of those like, okay, that's really, I don't like this character. And like you say, he's the villain. And yeah. a lot of this is building up to be this villain character. We cut to uh, Victoria and Toddy in bed singing Home on the Range and they discuss how both want to have an affair with King, which again, I'm like very weird. It's like, okay, but he's the villain. Is Am I not picking up where this They're both just kind of like, he's just hot. Yeah. (laughs) He's not even, but that's what they've taken from this situation is that they're both like, oh, he's very handsome. Yeah. Could be into that. And then (laughs) I think, I genuinely think, right, And this isn't discussed in the film, but I genuinely feel like the reason why Victoria ends up being into King is because when they had that conversation Mm -hmm. where he's talking to Victor, that probably is the first conversation she's ever had with a man that she fancies where they were on equal terms. And he's talking to her like they are equals because obviously this is set in the 30s. So probably other than toddy no man has ever spoken to her like that before yeah so she's into it and she can't be into toddy and i love that it never tease anything that they are just yeah you know toddy is gay and we're not doing anything about it exactly i really like that we cut back to king who looks miserable in bed we learn it happens to everyone and we say we, we learn that norma's never faked it with king she means so obviously great little joke that poor confused king feels emasculated i i didn't like it I, they just go too far with this. That's and it's I mean. the same thing that she did when they were coming into the room yes. talking about Victor, where she kept rubbing it in. Oh, I knew it was a man the whole time and you were so embarrassed. And then here it's, you couldn't get it up. Don't be embarrassed. It happens to everyone. Don't worry. And she just keeps going on about it. Well, this is the thing. And because it feels like we're supposed to laugh at the, the villain because he's having gay thoughts, it's, it, it's not. Oh, it, I didn't read it as that. Well, this is the thing is I feel like there's maybe the... Maybe that's where we're supposed to laugh at him because that 
Oh, because he can't get it for her, her because, because he likes Victor. And he's imagining Victor and it's a, oh, if only I could, but I'm trying to stop it. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. I, I felt like this scene was a little too on those. I know we could have just had that, listen, not a big deal. You know, maybe Norma is as obnoxious somehow, but it doesn't need to go on as long as it did. She keeps talking. She keeps talking. He's like, right, I'm over this now. You are going back to America. No, but not before. He goes into the bathroom. He grabs a bar of soap. Oh, yeah. He soaps her mouth because she keeps, she won't shut up. Yep. And she's like, even my, my own mother didn't soap my mouth. Blah, blah, blah. And both him and Squash are terrified of her. And she throws things. Oh, and she goes to hit him with, it's a marble peacock. Yeah. And as she swings it round, Squash just takes it out of her hand and puts it up on a shelf. And, and it's then- like... And then she throws it at him. Yeah. And we cut to a shot of them on the train tracks and him walking her up, putting her in a carriage and Just walking like third back. Class, yeah. But then you still hear, you still see her walking back talking. You don't hear what she's saying. And it's a really fun little shot. It's just like in the... Uh, Squash is just like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not dealing with this anymore. Uh, yeah, it's just like when we're in the diner with the cockroach that you see the inside, but you don't hear it. It's a really fun mm. use of sound. I thought it was quite nice. So wherever king goes squash has to be because he's his bodyguard yes so he decides that after they go to bed he's going to sneak out and get into toddy and victor's hotel room to find out whether or yes. not victor is a woman but we actually have another performance first because we have the shady dane from seville oh, yes we do. with this great i guess you know costume this this seville costume for victoria very elegant again a really really great set piece one of my favorite things is when her voice lowers as she's dropped to the ground and picks up again Mm -hmm. i think it's a lot of fun and again hits a high note and we see more of like her voice popping a cork really really fun little interactions here that i liked yeah and this is when we go back to the hotel for more shenanigans Mm -hmm. and he leaves a note for Victoria, for Victor, just so that he knows which room she's in. Yeah, that's exactly why he does it, is to find out what room uh, Victor is in. Yes. And then once he finds out, sneaks out into that room. My favourite bit is when they go back to their hotel room and Squash just goes, hi Norma, and you see King panic. And he <laughs> he freaks Squ- out and Squash is like... <laughs> yeah, Squash is, Squash is one of those characters that does so much with so little at times and it's great. <laughs> so and yes, so they go down to 432 and we get the shenanigans. Mm-hmm. There's this great bit, so he calls down to room service, he goes, 432 would like some more towels and he follows the maid in and each time we see this man trying to put his shoes out in the room opposite and always brings them back in because there's someone out there, which is great. And I love the little bit where the maid has the towels, it's walks not... into the bathroom yeah, and sees there's already loads of towels and just walks out with the towels anyways, just like, hmm. Yeah, so... The guy who keeps coming in and out of his room, that's like an unnecessary homophobic joke. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's one of the things that like doesn't need to be there. So oh, he, I thought every it was time just he comes he was... out of his room, there is another man going into that room. I thought it was literally just because he was scared someone was going to steal his shoes and he was waiting until no one else was coming in. Cause no, he... you put your shoes out to be taken and cleaned. Oh, I know that, but I thought he was worried because people were coming in no, and he, he had no shoes. No, he just doesn't want the gays to take his shoes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I really... So, like, every time he goes out of his room, there is either a man coming in or out of that room, and it's always a different man. Because he sees all four of them. He sees Toddy, Victor, yeah. King, and Squash. I had no idea that times. was that was yeah. the reading of that. It's, it's 
there's a lot of weird side jokes in this film that I feel like if you cut would make no difference. I honestly, this is one of them. I honestly, because I know about men leaving their shoes out. We've seen it in the office when they go up for uh, Pam and Jim's wedding and they get rid of Kevin's shoes because they were they were unholy. Yeah. They needed to be incinerated. And I know that that's a thing that happens. I honestly just thought the reading was it's like uh, it's late at night, people keep coming in, and I don't want my shoes to get stolen. Yeah, that's all I thought was. Oh, that's bad. That's a, that's not a fun joke. Then mm-hmm. Squash is up in the. His his room, and he sees through the uh, window that King is in their room. So he heads down. I like the little bit where they look up and they wave at each other. King arrives, Squash arrives, and as soon as he arrives, others coming. So he has to hide out on the balcony in the snowstorm. Poor Squash, just Poor freezing. Squash. This is the bit I got really uncomfortable with. This is the point at which King reveals himself to be the villain. Yes, absolutely. Because. because He's so unnecessary. And I was so hoping, I really was hoping that he'd get busted. I'm not here for that voyeur stuff. Yeah. But he hides in a cupboard in in the bathroom as everyone's, you know, in and Victoria's going into the bath. Yeah. And you see her getting undressed. And, And the worst bit of this, the worst bit of this is the fact that we are seeing it from his perspective. It's not like we're seeing it from like the bath and we're seeing Victoria get undressed, but we can see him sneaking behind, behind. her. We're yeah. watching it from his perspective. And that's a choice because you are putting us as that character, right? The thing is, the reason why they do it from that angle is because from the back... We don't see... We don't see anything of Julie Andrews, obviously. You, but, you don't even see her butt. It's from, like, the waist well, up. Well, and you, you can't just it, right, the at top. the right yeah. time. As but, much as MGM were allowed to show But you time. could achieve it. You could achieve it the exact no, but, same. Well, I guess... The other thing is, as long as he's looking at her from that angle, yeah. she could still be a man. Yes. And, and this is... But, and, and I guess and the thing is... And it's not until we cut back to looking at him and we hear yeah. the splash of the bathwater... That we see the Grinch smile. smiles. I, but it is, really un- it is really uncomfortable... There's not many instances like it's it's a horror thing where you are the horror monster it's the chasing horror of being unaware. But but it's that where you where you might become Freddy stalking someone in a nightmare yeah. on Elm Street. It's like the same in Jurassic Park. The one point in time we see something from a dinosaur's perspective in the original Jurassic Park is in the kitchen scene where we become the Velociraptor chasing Timmy. Mm-hmm. And and it's very weird. Do you know what's the most annoying part about this? In a, a little bit, some stuff happens first. But yeah. in a little bit, King kisses Victor, Victor and says, I don't care if you are a man. But knows. And then she reveals, no, I'm not a man. It's been a hoax this whole time. Yeah. But he knows that. I know. Because he's and a he, pervert. And he lies. Yeah. And that's why. We'd had this moment where he was like, do you know what? I don't care if you are a man. I like you anyway. Yeah. It would be this revelation moment where she's like look i'm i'm not a man and he could sort that out for himself rather than him him knowing and and saying that and and this is the thing i feel like it would have been better if he'd just kissed her and not said that there's so much in this sequence as well that kind of builds up to the point that she's yawning she's tired and i was really expecting to go the way of you know i'm just i'm just going to bed she um you know get through the bath and then king has to spend the whole night in there and yeah that would have been funny you know and that's where i thought it's going i I really found it deeply uncomfortable that we're watching from his perspective she's being spied on in this moment of vulnerability 
and then we get his creepy Grinch smile, and then they escape. The fu- it is quite funny when then he goes back up to his room and he looks out and they repeat the wave and he sees Squash freezing and they try and get Squash out. There's a nice bit where Toddy's like, why'd you open the window? Why? Oh, you- and you've got water over here as well because it's where Squash has been lying. Out. You know, that bit's fun. But as a sequence, I I don't like it. To yeah. be completely honest. And it does undo, like, King is the villain going forward. You can't really get on board with why she wants to be in a relationship with him. And it's a big issue for me with this story. Like mm-hmm. you say, he should just accept it and then maybe learn. If if he was just like, do you know what? I don't care. I, I like you. And they kiss and then she goes, I have something to tell you. Well, so this scene isn't in the stage show. Good. And the end of Act 1 in the stage show is them in bed where they're like her and toddy rather yeah where they're talking about like oh we both quite fancy him so pre norma being sent home no that's what it sort of happens but where at the this happens yeah, yeah. that happens and then the opening of act two is victor still performing and then the dame of seville norma going back to america yeah and she's complaining to victor that because she like they're in the same sort of social circle that oh king's sending me back to america because he fancies you because i guess he's gay now and like is complaining and then so victoria's like oh my god he does like me that's great yeah wait what's he gonna do if he finds out that i'm not a man now will he not be interested in me now because he's finally found out about his gay awakening he king is then like there's a song called king's dilemma where he's trying to sort out his own sexuality and then they go out to dinner and then he says, I don't care if you are a man. I don't care. It yeah. doesn't matter. Victoria is like, I'm not a man. He's like, I still don't care. Cool. It doesn't matter. And then they kiss. Then he still has the whole rest of the show to complain about her being a man. Yeah. Because that just continues. It does. But we don't have the creepy, he's the villain of this yeah. show parts. We, I guess this is a fun like act two number. So I guess, you know, we're halfway through the film now. We yeah. have this Chicago, Illinois song. And yeah, you know, I will say Chicago is high up on my travel list. It's somewhere I would love to go and visit. You know, a lot of movies. I think I've said it on the podcast before. A lot mm. of, you know, films there. A big wrestling culture there as well. One of my favourite wrestlers is from Chicago. You know, I, I'd like to go to Chicago sometime. It's on my travel list. I hate you. Well, I guess <laughs> I guess you'll have been to the airport in, in specific I can't believe you just said you hate me. <laughs> I love no, you. No, I've driven through there. I've had Chicago pizza yeah. and I spent seven hours in the airport. Nice. Just in the airport. Doing nothing. I slept on the floor in the airport. I, I so like boring. that we see more of Norma here. That Norma's not completely forgotten. I like we actually see, you know, an American performance. Like what America's doing. That they're not as, like, classy as what we're getting over in Paris. You know, whereas... Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. You've You've got heads with victoria that's what they're doing and then tails mm-hmm. with norma um and some <laughs> rather crass <laughs> choreography here mm-hmm. but yeah i really like this song i think it's a fun energetic number and we meet sal and norma tells sal that king is hooking up with victor in the most homophobic way conniving way yeah as well as homophobic because she her plan is to get king back by having Sal like drag him back to America. Yeah. And it's yeah. And Sal's a character that really 
exists just to just to bring sort of the story to the end of the movie. Yeah. yeah, just just to bring the story to a, a head isn't developed. Mm-hmm. It's fine. We we know he's not a nice character because he's um, mafia boss. Yeah. We cut back to Paris and uh, Gimli has told Toddy and Victor they're going to get $10,000 a week for 10 weeks to perform at King's Club. And they instantly say yes. And then they go to dinner to discuss the deal. I quite like that Toddy leaves dinner to go and join Squash because Squash is alone. And, and you can see Victor's discomfort because they've already said... Yeah. Don't leave me alone with him. I'm not confident in this. But they, they kind of, this is when they're like talking about how much like, you know, the world is interesting and sharing some views. And obviously it's it's it's, it's squirmy because Victor know, doesn't know that King knows. Yeah. They cut to Shay Louis and we've got this weird masked kind of burlesque performance, which is quite unsettling. You know, where you've got like, two men are masked and two others but then they turn around and it's just like the masks are quite again grotesque mm-hmm. but you know fun it, it, it fits that Shay Louis kind of CD atmosphere and was it Labisse? Yes. Over the moon to have Victor there in attendance they're the VIPs and he tells you know one of his staff you take good care of them yeah and it, who is it Drew? Just the waiter and poor waiter. Victor's Victor is response. immediately like hiding. Yeah, big, and, and you can see him kind of making the connection that he recognises them. And it's really fun. I, I like that little joke. And obviously messing, you know, pours too much and is very, very uh, bad at his job. And then Victor gets invited to perform. Yeah, uh, Victor doesn't want to, but Toddy is like, like, hey, it's my old club. Especially because it's like prove a point. Yeah. And I think this is the bit where the waiter actually recognises Victor and just looks really confused. It's not recognises Victor, it's recognises Toddy. Yes. And then is like, yeah. where do I know you from? And trying to figure it out. They sing You and Me, which is a really cute little yeah. song. Their double they're... act is great. Yeah, it's nice. And it does just feel like Julie Andrews and... Robert Preston. Just having a laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Richard shows up. Mm-hmm. And another riot starts. Yep. I think this is the moment where the older woman has her wig taken off as well by Toddy and it's goes knocked off. Yeah. yeah. And one of my favorite things is that Victoria accidentally punches King, but then at the the kind He's of like, oh, I'm so sorry. But the culmination of this is someone runs towards Victor with a chair. And Victor's instinct is to sing a high C in the hopes that something will happen. Like, freaks them out, yeah. Yeah, and that's when um, I think King punches mm-hmm. them. It's like in Pokemon, where Jigglypuff uses sing and nothing happened, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> really funny little bit. And then they, King and Victor escape the club. They leave Toddy and Squash behind... Yeah. But this is when we have that moment where Victoria tells the truth, like we've discussed, and, oh, well, I don't care. And obviously mm-hmm. could work better if Victor wasn't aware and was kind of like at peace with the whole, no, I'm interested in you. And then it doesn't matter anyway. I, I still like you. <laughs> so apparently Blake Edwards admitted in an interview that the reason why they added the scene where king sees victoria in the bath is because he chickened out of having 
King just fall in love with Victor? Which is, I, I, I can understand in the 1980s, like, bottom. I no, I mean... Not about that. I could understand from a perspective of I want this film to be made and I know for a fact that this film will be empowering and I'm scared to push the full story I want to do because mm. then this film doesn't get made. It's disappointing. Yeah. But I like that he's at least expressed regrets at it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I really like this bit where Squash where Squash shows up to the hotel room. Hears noises from King's bed. Worries. Because there's a joke that like, oh, if you hear noises, it's me and Norma. And he knows Norma's noise. So he's like, oh no, he's on track. Barge open the door and sees him there with Victor. Because it, she's not in her Victoria hairstyle. He sees her and Victor. And is really apologetic, lifts the door back up. And, oh, this bit's really sweet. And it's such a shame. And it makes me, it's really upsetting, but really nice at the same time. Because King comes out to speak to uh, Squash. And Squash uses this as an opportunity to say that seeing you be honest about your sexuality inspires me to tell you that, boss, I'm gay. Yeah. And it's really sweet to see him come out and feel empowered too. But it's really sad that he's come out on a lie. You know? Yeah, especially because we have all the stuff about, of King, like, preemptively finding out yeah. Victoria's gender. He's Yeah, and, and this is it. And he's not... Surely he'd have told Squash. No. It feels very, very weird, but... But it is really nice that we have... Everything that Toddy and Victor have been saying to King this whole time, followed up by Squash, who is like, yeah, you know, I'm a tough guy, but, you know, when you're a gay kid... You have to You be have tough. to be a tough guy, because yeah. what else are you going to do? Get beaten up. Yeah, that's what... We have a really nice exchange in a bit when they're uh, at the gym, and it is a really nice exchange. And actually, I quite like... I, I, I like that King mm-hmm. has a safe place to ask his questions... Yeah. You know, and that he's respectful in the way he talks to Squash and Squash answers the questions honestly. And it's it's a nice bit of character growth that maybe that scene should have happened maybe a little bit before... Or maybe that scene should happen before King does know that Victor's... I don't know. Yeah. It, it's a really nice, nice moment for King, who is still our villain, but is at least showing he can be a good human being. You know, it's... Mm. That there, there is no such thing as black or white people. There are shades of grey. Yeah. Victoria doesn't want to stop being Victor. She feels like she's emancipated and they have this nice talk on the bed. And he does use a slur here, which again is like, oh, you're so uncomfortable, King. You know, you are the villain. Mm-hmm. And she points out the inequality in the systems and they, they argue back and forth. And she counterpoints everything he says really, really well. And ultimately it feels like they break up because she's like, well, I guess we just can't be together because if you're not willing to be with Victor, then this won't work. That's not how this works, yeah. Which is good. I'm really pleased for her that she stood up for herself and was like, my career comes first. Mm -hmm. Which again, it is that thing of I'm a man. I am emancipated. It'd be really nice if that was the overarching theme. If that was the end of this, (laughs) yes. how this ended. (laughs) And yeah, they break up. She goes back down to her one and finds that squash and toddy are together which i think is really really cute as well i mean i i definitely feel like toddy found that out about squash whilst they were at their little lunch you know before they went to shay louis he definitely was like asking questions and 
they spoke about it. They were just it. hanging out. Yeah, we love it. And yes, we learn, we go to the gym, we learn about Squash's tragic backstory and King picks a, you know, because of toxic masculinity, he has to prove himself to be a man. He picks a fight with somebody Some who, guy, yeah. who we learn is a boxing champion. And mm-hmm. it, it feels really satisfying that the next time we see King, like it's kind of like they end the scene and we cut to Victoria who walks and see him and he's got this big black eye. Like it feels really satisfying. It's like, that's what happens with your fragile male your ego, yeah. you know? Um, and he says that he wants to try living together. And, you know, I guess it's given him that closure to be like, my views in the world are wrong. I need to evolve with the times. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. You know, he's working through his stuff, albeit in a very toxic way, but he comes to a very positive conclusion. Yeah. They tried living together for a while. Yep. They go out dancing. Yes, they go out dancing. It's really sad. It is really sad because it's it's in a gay club. It's it's a very underground... Yeah. The way that they frame it is like, this is a secret place that she's found out about through Toddy. Yes. And that you know, King would never have known about, but they go and he is obviously uncomfortable the entire time. But we've also got a few things happen before that as well, because we see Labisa at the show and he sees Victor break a glass and he knows that it's Victoria. Yeah. Because I've seen this before. So he gets the PI. We never really hear anything from this oh my com- God. bumbling so PI. This guy is supposed to be Inspector Quiso. Oh yeah. Pink Panther. It, and it is very Pink Panther. Yeah. A very Pink Panther. We don't see him. He just gets into misadventures. Really stupid misadventures. Yes. Gets his fingers shut in a door. Small things like, like that. Yeah. We get Crazy World, which is a nice slow number for Victor. Mm-hmm. And then she tosses the rose to King. And he has to compensate for this public show by going to a boxing match. You know? Oh, yeah. And she hates it. She hates it, but he's cheering and she vomits, doesn't she? Yeah, because you, you get, if you sit in the front row, you get given a sheet of newspaper yes. to hold up so you don't get blood on you. Yeah, and she hates it. So then they, they go to the opera and she's moved, like she's sobbing. She's crying. Yeah. yeah. And he's just there like she was at the boxing. And you show that the two worlds aren't compatible. The difference is she's not embarrassed of him at the no. boxing. She's She just doesn't like she's it. She's uncomfortable. Yeah. Whereas he's just sat there at the opera, but... The way that she is reacting, he's embarrassed of. Yes. He's embarrassed to be seen with her. They are a terrible couple. They are. They really are. <laughs> they shouldn't be together. So the PI... They shouldn't end up together. Yeah, and we have this little comedy moment where the PI climbs up and he looks through their window with his umbrella mm-hmm. as they're eating dinner and he gets struck by lightning, so he yeah. should be dead. I don't, yeah. Right, this is the thing, I'll be completely honest. The PI character, I, I, I like the idea that somebody's trying to... You would. This is what you thought King would be doing the yes, whole time. Yes, this is yeah. what I thought King would be doing. And I like the idea that somebody is trying to find out the truth to mm-hmm. blackmail or whatever, you know, or to bring down. Because Shay Louis now has a... Or the Beast, because Shay Louis is closed yet again, has a grudge. Victor's done this. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But when you have a very real world and then you have silly things like struck by lightning and survives, that is jarring to me, you know? Yeah. It's like pirate movie. This happens too late in the game to establish that this is allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I mean, I say that we've had so many grotesque characters, so maybe it, it there's enough there to suggest it's otherworldly. But you know what I mean? Like pirate movie, it just suddenly comes out the blue and he's like, I've got a light- lightsaber. Yeah. Like, okay. It's like this bit here. It doesn't ruin my enjoyment of the film, but it's just, it, it's very silly at this point. Mm-hmm. Then they go dancing and they leave early. Yeah. And Squash takes Victoria home early, which means, 
for the first time in the film, we're actually seeing King left unattended. And my my thought process here was that he's going to be grabbed by Sal. Yeah. I knew Sal was coming back because Sal's this homophobic character that's not going to allow this to happen, especially if someone has a connection with him. Mm-hmm. And I really expected that to happen here. This film, I really didn't... I couldn't read it. It's quite interesting. It's quite nice watching a film which is not going the way I expected. But instead, yeah. again, he goes to a dive bar because he has to balance his fragile male ego and starts a fight that goes Mm -hmm. badly. Yeah. It makes it so difficult to like King. Anytime he does something nice, he goes and, and and it's like one step forward, three steps back. Mm -hmm. And Victor says to Toddy that I don't think this is working. I can't do this. We're breaking up. And Toddy again comforts Victor. Who's like, I'm a bachelor again. Yeah. It's really nice that Toddy's just like, look, I just care about my friend. We go to the sauna. Come on, you know, you're well now. <laughs> I forgot about this. And and this is when Sal shows up and instantly is even more homophobic and, yeah, deeply uncomfortable. But is the bad character. It's like that moment in Priscilla. You understand it because it's a villain thing. The good mm-hmm. thing here is we're in our living room. There's no one here to laugh at this moment. Yeah, it's a very clear, uncomfortable moment, and I don't know how I feel about you know media showing words like that being used, but at least you know this is he is our villain. Yeah, and like you say, when we went to see Priscilla, there were people laughing at the use of the F slur, and it just made it worse because we were like, "Oh, you're laughing at the wrong thing." Yes. <laughs> Yeah, you're not supposed to laugh. We're at this supposed moment. to be on the gay character's side yes. here, and you're laughing because the homophobes are using the F slur. Yeah, bit weird. But at least with this, you know, it's a movie. We're in our living room. There is nobody to laugh at that. We can only be shocked at the character. We can only be shocked, that. and we know. But it's also we know this character's a nasty piece of work. Mm. So, I, it's like I said, I don't know if I feel that these words should be used, but I feel like. If they're, they're not used, they get forgotten and people, you know, that that's when the words start to have power again because people will use it. And if we're confronted with it and we're made to feel uncomfortable here, maybe people won't use it outside. Yeah. I guess this is what they're going for. It made me uncomfortable, you know. Yeah. And we have like a weird little moment where Victoria's unhappy. So she's planning to stop the act. You know, and she's talking to Toddy in their living in their living space. The PI is in, is pulling a king and is hiding inside the the cupboard to watch her. And she pushes the cupboard shut. Yes, on well, because she sees the fingers and she pushes it, and you just hear that. Because Squash has come in and said, "We need you." He, Sal's got him. He's going to sign over everything. He's in danger. So they yeah. all go to save King, Toddy, Squash, and Victor. Yeah. So. Victoria arrives as Victor, drags Norma into the bedroom, and then we get this really horrible bit. I really don't like how this is framed, right? If the way that this is framed is if you were Norma or if you are a woman watching this scene. Yeah, what is Victor's You're going to know what 
it this feels like because it feels like Victor intends to assault Norma. Yes. And I'm sure that's how Norma felt because she's like, what are you doing? Why are you taking your clothes off? But then there's a weird bit. But th- but And then my issue with that is that at the end, she seems kind of into it. And that... Yeah, well, this is the thing. She starts to take her... Victoria starts to take her Victor clothes off and the actress who plays Norma improvised a line where that starts happening and she then says, wait, lock the door. And they were like, oh, that's so funny. Let's keep it in. But now it reads like a sexual assault. And so why is she reacting like this? That's what, and that's exactly why I dislike that line. I could completely understand if you showed it and you showed her being deeply uncomfortable fine yeah because the next thing we see is norma runs out the room and is like she's a woman you cheated on me you You know yeah and it's yeah so they they, you know she immediately breaks news just out i uh, it's already uncomfortable just seeing norma yeah so feel scared we're leaving but then to know that the you know the way it's been positioned is well we'll just make light of the the sexual assault we'll laugh at it commit to that decision show it show norma being uncomfortable and for a film that has such good discussions about sexuality and gender, yeah, to be that tone deaf about um, a sexual assault of a female character, like, yeah, actually, the, this film doesn't do very well with sexual assault. No, it doesn't. There's there's quite a bit, but yeah, what can you do? It's we'll call it out. Yeah. You know, we can't go back in time and remake it. And we can hope that if Victor Victoria is ever remade or brought to stage, things are different about it. Uh, At this point, we're backstage at the show and we learn that the Beast has arrived with the police Mm -hmm. because he knows the truth. And Gimli's obviously terrified. Tell you what, he really wasn't used in this. It was nice to see him, but he really yeah. wasn't used in this. But Gimli always says, oh no, he's here. The detective goes in and comes out and tells Labisse off because mm-hmm. there was a naked man in the room and naked from the waist down, definitely a man. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, because it's Toddy Toddy's, that's yeah. in the room. But then the thing is, as much as I love this bit at the end, Toddy is clearly not Victor, right? But the inspector doesn't know what Victor looks like. Oh, really? That's, so the, okay. That's the only reason we get around it is the inspector has never met Victor. Fine. We don't see who's in the room and neither does the Beast. Yes. So when the inspector That's, goes into the room, so this he is, assumes that the person in there is Victor. I just assume because Victor's quite a big name at this point in time. Everyone in France would have known who Victor was. Yeah, but they're not photographing him. No, but there is. There's a scene that we see that there's a photo shoot of Victor. Yeah, but the photos don't come out. Oh, fair enough. That's fine. I mean, it, it, you know, that I, I still like but it. We also he never complete the photo shoot because he's too sad. He's too sad and depressed, yes. So uh, then we, we uh, see that the waiter is here again, mm-hmm. now working here, uh, uh, selling wine again. And then Victoria walks one. She sits in the audience yeah. and sits next to King. King looks very confused. Mm-hmm. And we get the finale and the shady Dane of Seville once again. Yep. And this time it's Toddy. Toddy has taken her place and he's excellent in this. And it's a very different version. It, it's full of comical mishaps. Mm-hmm. I like the bit where he tries to replicate the falling down and changing the, the pitch of the voice and coming back up. You know, and there's some really nice... It works really well as a comedy act. I guess very much, you know, this is what 
some modern drag queens are like where you know it's very silly we're not trying to fool the audience that we are a female you know performer on stage do you know what i mean it's the other other side of drag where yeah you know you know the world of drag a lot better than i do mm-hmm. but i know what you mean though yeah and hopefully you might be able to explain it a little better than i can mm-hmm. But I really liked this. I thought it was really, really fun. It's become a farce, but everyone loves it. And this gets a standing ovation as well. Yeah. And it's really nice because even though I don't like that Victoria has to give up being Victor for their happy ending, I like that Victoria gets the happy ending they want. Yeah. And I like that Toddy gets the happy ending they want of being in a limelight. You know, Toddy is a performer. And you do feel bad that Toddy kind of has to give up on their dreams for this like it's kind of like those who can't do well yeah. i'm going to be your manager then because i'm not going to get the level of su- success i want but you might so it's nice that toddy gets their happy ending as well mm-hmm. and you know squash loved this as well nice big round of applause we we cut back to shay louis yep and the pi uh comes and, and has a giant bandage on his finger and says the, the one line we hear him say is Here's my bill. And Labis grabs a hammer and just slams it down on the finger. Yep. And then we cut back and everyone's giving a huge round of applause. I like that there's no clear ending. It's just this is the end of the show. We don't know what happens next for Victoria and King, for Toddy. We leave it that they hopefully are happy with their lot in life. Yes. I wish... There's this weird bit where King looks at Victoria while... Toddy's performing and she's mouthing the lyrics. Yeah. And then he looks back and just continues to watch Toddy and nothing comes of it. I wish that that moment was him realizing was him being like, this is her dream. This is Mm. what she wanted. And yeah, I took, I took that away. And like, then he turns to her and is like, it's fine. (laughs) I know. Exactly. King, King doesn't deserve her. However, fun fact, the dress that Toddy is wearing is the same dress That's really that Victoria good. wore earlier. It's done up with laces, so it was really, really tight on Julie Andrews, yeah. and then they could just let it out. I like the consistency there. Also, Robert Preston was wearing heels for this scene, but during filming, one of the heels snapped off of one of the shoes, so he's wearing one heeled shoe and one shoe that yeah. the heels come off of, so he has one flat foot and one heeled foot. It fun. is a very fun sequence. Like, I do really like it. It's a fun ending. Like, it's not the best song, yeah, but he's like, this is my last performance. Everybody loves it. But it is. It's, it's fun. So, Victor Victoria. Mm-hmm. What is your best song in this one? Ooh. Either You and Me, because I like the shenanigans yes. and the performing together, or just the jazz hop. I put the jazz hop. I did really enjoy Chicago, Illinois mm-hmm. as well. Um, my skip song is Cherry Rhine. It's, yeah, it's not important. Yeah, it's I, just there for the rest of it. I wouldn't want to cut anything else. Yeah, to be completely honest. So that's the best one to cut. Yeah, I maybe wouldn't listen to the finale. It's one of those that works. Re- I wouldn't want to give it up. Visually, it works. It really visually well. works yeah. better. The MVP has to be Julie Andrews in this. Obviously. Oh, like absolutely. Yeah, and when the stage show came out in the nineties, she then went on yeah. again to play uh, Victor Victoria and and Elena's comments. We'll get to in a moment knew that from what Elena's told me, but we'll obviously talk about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no role for me in this one. 
Let's play king. I don't want to play king. I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> play play, Sal. I don't feel comfortable playing this iteration of king. That's, yeah. Let's put that. And I definitely don't want to be Sal. It's not like where, and we'll talk about this in waitress, where I've got multiple because we're going to go see waitress. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got multiple roles I want to play. Yeah. For different reasons, these villains don't have enough to get into them, and this version of king, I don't feel comfortable with the 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 voyeur nature. Yeah. I guess you want to play Victoria? Yeah. I'd love to play that role. I think it's really fun. I mean, And we'd... I think it would be more interesting if played by somebody who has the full gender experience, <laughs> you know? Would, I mean, would you want to play Norma? No. So not, so really you've only got one choice as well. Yeah. It, I, I enjoyed this one. Mm-hmm. You know, I was we were talking about, like, if they were to remake it or do a modern stage production, because I'd read in the news that Ian McKellen said he wants to do a musical. Yeah. But a stage musical. I think he would be fantastic as Toddy. I think he'd be great as Toddy. But mm-hmm. I don't... Ian McKellen. Uh, he's maybe a bit too old. I don't think so. I mean, we know what Ian McKellen's like. He'd do anything. Yeah, but, but I, th- I think he would be a really good actor to play Toddy. Mm. But, I mean, is there anyone that... I, I don't know who, if you can top Julie Andrews' performance. That's the thing. Yeah. That's Interesting. True. Food for thought. So, over on Twitter and Instagram. So, to Twitter first. 30% of people said Victor, Victoria. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it. 8% of people said it's okay. 62% of people said, yes, Victor Victorious. Nobody said they disliked it. It's cool. So everyone who's seen this enjoyed it from Twitter. Yeah. We heard from at Glasses Rainbow. So rainbow colored glasses. A podcast that looks at LGBTQ plus cinema of the past and asks what it means today. Yeah. So, you know, possibly experts on this film, maybe if they watched it before. They said the first half of the film is terrific. It peaks after Leslie Ann Warren's number. Then the women and the gay men fade away and focus shifts to James Garner's straight male angst. The stage show throws off the balance even further with some terrible new songs. If you get the chance to check out the original 1933 film as well, Victor und Victoria. I think they're really spot on with that, actually. they I said it at the start where we have three stories. It's yeah. not as fun when we're following King more yeah but definitely the first act and everything all all the hijink shenanigans is a lot of fun yeah over on instagram 55 percent of people said yes they were fans with 45 percent of people saying no they were not fans mm-hmm. and this is where we heard from friend of the podcast elena who gave us the following contribution I think that this is one of Julie Andrews' lesser-known films, but it's a really, really good film. It features an all-star cast. You've got Julie Andrews, you've got Robert Preston, Leslie Ann Warren, James Garner. How do you even top that? You can't. James Garner and Julie Andrews have great chemistry together. I love all the movies that they made. Uh, They were perfect. And Leslie Ann Warren has an absolutely hysterical part of this. I just love her character of Norma so much. One of my favourite lines... If I could hit a high C, I would be the star and you would still be trying to trade your virtue for a meatball. Yep. Loved that that exchange with Toddy. It is a really, really fun. And I like the key, the references they keep saying, like, you know, I like that it can make light of how desperate she was. It's quite nice that she's now comfortable. Comfortable she, enough, yeah. And it's only Toddy that could make that joke to her. Yes, that's true. It's been a while since I watched it. I actually did a watch and a chat on it and she sent us the link 
on her vintage Broadway Instagram page. And I'll talk about some of her, her points in a moment. I really enjoyed it when I watched it. And it's sad to think that the stage version was one of Julie Andrews' last musicals on stage because of the vocal damage that she received after undergoing surgery during the run, which is literally, can you imagine being that surgeon? Mm. And it is such a shame. And obviously... It was actually two doctors. Yeah. But we don't know who they were. <laughs> and they were understandably sued, you know. Yes. <sighs> this is the thing. Well, Julie it's... Andrews has said the thing that got her through that period of time because she did fall into a, a depression. I don't blame her. Was her daughter and writing children's books yeah. for her daughter, which is really nice. But it really is. And I think one of the only things she's sung in since is the Princess Diaries, isn't it? Or Princess... Yeah, Princess yeah. Diaries 2 was the, the first thing I think she came back with. And yeah. it's not a very long song, no, but, but it's a really nice song. And she sings with Robin Simone. <laughs> yeah, and it is very, very tragic, you know. Yeah. And quite rightly, she had massive insurance on her, her voice. You don't blame her. It's what she was known for. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if she then couldn't perform anymore, full stop, she needs to somehow make that living. You know, I completely understand why. Something else I really like, I really like how it's set in a different time period, but also feels current at the same time. Because you see how Julie Andrews as a female can't necessarily make the career that she wants because females are seen as different. Mm -hmm. And I guess not going to bring the money in. And sadly today, women aren't seen quite as powerfully as men. And we're getting there, but it's still a struggle for women. What I'm trying to say is that women are not seen as equal as men still today. And yeah, spot on. And it is really, really sad that this film in 1982 still feels current today you know that there's still a lot to be done isn't there i really love the jazz hot that's one of the best numbers of the whole thing i love her costume on that number it's absolutely fabulous and they actually recently did a recreation of the costume in an episode of emily in paris ashley park wore a kind of victor victoria style costume and it was really cool to see that not watched emily in paris got absolutely no interest in watching emily in paris what is cool is Leslie Ann Warren basically created the character of Norma herself because she didn't have an accent, she wasn't blonde, and she didn't have a musical number. And Leslie Ann came up with this whole backstory for her. Blake Edwards sent a team of makeup artists and costume designers and wig designers to her. She pitched her idea to them, he loved it, and that was the character of Norma. So that character basically all came from Leslie Ann Warren herself because she's a genius. Few questionable choices we've yeah, discussed. Yeah, so definitely some questionable choices. But, I mean, and it wakes me a little bit. Oh, I mean, you talked, I mean, obviously Blake Edwards has chosen what lines to keep in, but like we said with the lock the door, you know. Yeah, is... that was a thing he decided he wanted to keep in. Another really cool fact is that Blake Edwards and Julie Andrews would always stop around four o'clock during the filming and would have tea. And I think that's absolutely adorable. I'd also like to point out that Victoria's reaction to a cockroach is literally the same exact reaction I would have. I watched this scene and I thought, wow, this is a mood. It's not even... Her character's reaction is Julie Andrews' reaction. <laughs> I think it's a very understandable, natural reaction. Mm-hmm. And yeah, fantastic uh, watch along. If you go to Vintage Broadway 19, you can see, you know, all of Elena's thoughts there going through it. And it, it is, there's some really fantastic points. One of the things is some, you know, obviously in the line we didn't talk about, but the anachronism of Chicago, Illinois, you told me that there's some... Oh, there's a, a line Contra- about like um, someday. Oh, someday we'll get an airport, yeah. but it's set in '33, and the airport opened in '27, and was like the busiest airport in the world. But like songs are songs. I could sing songs now about like stuff that was happening in the I, past. That's the thing is, it's not a musical song. It's not like a spontaneous it's performing. It's, a performing. Yeah. it's an in-world, in-universe song. But yeah, some great bits. I especially loved reading Elena's responses to like the moment where 
Victoria takes off her hat and is revealed to be a, a you know, Victor, mm-hmm. and just Leslie Ann like applauds. Like some of the reactions on this thread are fantastic, and it, it's the same thing as reading when Elena does a live tweet of what we've watched. Always makes me happy. Yeah, I gave this one four stars. Cool. I enjoyed it. It's it's not without its faults, obviously, and I, but that it comes from being as dated as it is. And that's the thing is, I had to remind myself that I was watching something from 1982 at times. If this was a more recent production, it would have got a lower score. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's some really fun moments, and you can see it's a really important film. Yeah. How about you? Did it age as well as you remembered it? All the stuff that I remember from it is the good stuff things like norma as a character i did not remember her at all yeah and king sneaking around into the bedroom and stuff i didn't remember any of that obviously because i blocked it out of my brain and yes. only taken the Julie andrews and toddy stuff from this yeah, but which yeah is the best pretty much what i remember it to good. be so we have got some really exciting shows on the horizon next week we are going to return to the new victoria theater in woking mm-hmm. we will be woking nine to five yeah. What a way to excited. make a living. Very, very excited to see that one in two weeks for episode 99. Mm-hmm. Actually, probably appropriately, the musical that began this podcast. Yep. The first musical we saw together, Waitress. Yeah. And maybe without it, we wouldn't be doing this nearly 100 episodes later. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a mystery romantic musical in the middle for episode 98, which will launch on Valentine's Day. And then we will end February with the last episode of the month being our hundredth episode uh so we're going to put a poll up on twitter and you'll be able to find this uh so this is obviously launching the monday the last day of january monday the 31st from tuesday the 1st of february you will be able to find a poll that will be up for a week on our twitter at it's a musical pod with four choices of what musical we will watch for our hundredth episode and to break the mold we are going to watch a musical that we have seen, both of us. Mm-hmm. We're going to let you choose which one. So our first choice, we're going to have another Julie Andrews. Which musical did you choose from Julie Andrews? The Sound of Music. Yes. I've not watched that since, I think, Christmas 2019. Yep. Possibly a little bit before. Our second choice, we like some Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. We're going to have the wonderful Wizard of Oz app as one of our choices. It's just the Wizard of Oz. I know. Wonderful is the book. And then... Which is wonderfully weird. (laughs) Then we'll be going a little bit more modern with the Tom Hooper, Hugh Jackman starring Les Mis. And if you care about me deeply, you will not vote for that one. (laughs) Because I hate that film. I don't want to watch it. And then one that I've not seen since it originally came out in cinemas. One I don't particularly want to rewatch, <laughs> but... Um, this is your your alternate for Les Mis. It's my alternate for Les Mis. So yeah, you chose the two classic ones. I chose the two modern ones. Yeah. Because I enjoy Les Mis. Yeah. I've not watched this since my initial disappointment. And I think this one will win. But I hope it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Another Hugh Jackman. The Greatest Showman. Yeah. So you'll be able to vote for which of those four musicals you want us to celebrate our 100th episode with. 
as of Tuesday the 1st of February. Yeah, close to 100 is very, very exciting. So some nice things on the horizon. As always, you can get involved in the conversation on Twitter and Instagram at It's A Musical Pod and follow us on TikTok. It's a Musical Pod and follow our adventures when we go backstage and just generally what we get up to. If you like the show, make sure you are subscribed to it on a multitude of good podcasting platforms. You can find us over on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google Podcasts. We are on Stitcher. We are on Good Pods. And we are on our OG hosts, Podbean. And if you like what we do, why not head over to any of those great platforms or podchaser.com and leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you love about the show. Next week, let us know your thoughts on 9 to 5. Are you a fan? It's a bit of Dolly. Of course you've got to be a fan. But until then, we will see you. Same bat place, same bat channel. Have a magical musical Monday. <laughs> <laughs>